Hey there, everybody. It is Tina Conrad, aka DJ Breast Cancer. I'm here season five with two very special guests. So today I have with me Marissa Thomas and Jasmine Sowers. They are the founders of For the Breast of Us, and they are really here to talk about, you know, representing women of color and going through a very adverse time breast cancer together with a sense of community. So I want to welcome both of you. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, Marissa. Hello. Thank you for having us. How are you? <laughs> and I attended your webinar a few weeks ago um, when the Breasties was kind of having their big um, Camp Breasty weekend. And it was really, really such a great re reflection and such an amazing job that you did of really educating you know, so many people who don't know what it's like to be in your shoes as a woman of color going through breast cancer. Well, so, I'm so glad. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm glad that you had the chance to, to jump on the webinar. I mean, it was, it was good timing for us in the sense that it's been a conversation we've been having since we were created about how to help our white counterparts be accomplices to women of color because women of color, especially African-American and Latina women, we have the worst health disparities in the breast cancer community. Yes, and we've had, a, like Jasmine said, we've had a lot of our white counterparts reach out to us. Um, even before everything happened in the country, when we were first formed last year, a lot of women were coming to us asking how they can help. Uh, so the webinar was a good timing for that to happen and so everybody else can kind of get that same information and then let's move forward with some action. Yes, I love that. And it, it was just really, really eye-opening to me. And, you know, we can go into some of the details and, you know, what you even went into on some of the webinar. Um, first, I'd love to get started a little bit, you know, about your stories. Um, you know, so each of you obviously have your own individual story and then the story of For the Breast of Us too. So, um, you know, Marissa, would you like to start a little bit about, you know, your breast cancer diagnosis and journey? Uh, sure. So I was diagnosed in November of 2015 at the age of 35 with uh, stage two um, breast cancer. I did the whole gamut of I had a lumpectomy first, then moved on to chemo with um, adromycin, cytoxin, and then taxol and then radiation. Um, I found a lump myself one day when I was getting out of the shower, putting some lotion on, and everything happened pretty quickly after that. Um, I also had two reconstruction surgeries after I completed active treatment, and now I am just being followed um, every six months by my oncologist. I opted out of taking um, any medication after treatment, my tumor was ER positive, but it was only 35% ER positive. So once I did some of the research and then weighed the pros and the cons, I decided I just wanted my quality of life back. And so I did not um, take the recommended medication that they wanted me to take. Yeah, so you had the red devil, the, the, big, the big one. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, and then um, Jasmine, um, your story and, and your diagnosis. So I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer. I was misdiagnosed at 25. And then um, I was having like some nipple discharge and one of my breasts was just really, it was really painful. It was really swollen. And um, we did the ultrasound and mammogram and they didn't find anything. 
So they said, maybe it's just a breast infection, gave me some antibiotics and um, sent me on my way. But like, I didn't really feel like a breast infection was the fair diagnosis just because it didn't have any other signs of an infection. Um, so I think maybe I had like a little solace that they were saying it wasn't cancer, but over the months, like it didn't get better. So I eventually went to my OBGYN and by this time it was like uh, maybe a month after my 26th birthday. And um, I, during this appointment, we were talking about starting a family, family planning. And I said like, before we get started, I need you to check out this situation with my boob. Like never in a million years would I have guessed that it was going to be breast cancer. Um, though breast cancer does run in my family. Um, we, I didn't test for any of the genes and no one was ever diagnosed as young as I was. So it was still a huge shock for my family. Um, I ended up doing proton therapy radiation. I did a bilateral mastectomy with reconstruction. I opted out of chemo because it was ER, PR positive. And um, I still wanted to have kids and they just felt like it was going to do more damage than actually help me. So um, I skipped that. Now I'm just on maintenance therapy for the next 10 years. And that's uh, it. Okay, so both of you relatively recent, you know, um, journeys. I'd love to know how did how did the two of you meet, and how did this idea, you know, for the rest of us get formed? So we knew of each other from Instagram, but we didn't really talk. I had the pleasure of going to the YSC Summit in 2018, and so once 2019 came around, I was really like posting about it a lot. I really wanted more women to experience because I think the Young Survival Coalition Summit is one of the best experiences ever. Um, and during this time, Marissa posted and she messaged me and asked if I was going. I said yes, um, and then we met up while we were there, and then. During that weekend, we had this really eye-opening experience um, in a session, one of the YSC sessions, and it was about diversity in clinical trials. And um, the conversation got so heated. It got really heated. Um, it was just a lot of conversation about Black women not participating and why don't they participate. And um, it was that some of the attitudes were very judgmental and some of the attitudes were very dismissive. And it really didn't take into into consideration the trauma that communities of color, not just black women, have experienced with the medical community and how if those issues aren't um, addressed, it's gonna be really hard to help improve health outcomes for any of us. No, that's so, it's so eye-opening. Eye and I know we like to say like, you know, cancer, doesn't discriminate because obviously it does impact every age, every, you know, men and women, you know, every race, ethnicity, but in some ways too, it, it does kind of discriminate, you know, and it does impact, you know, certain societies and certain groups, obviously much harder. And I, that was one of the more interesting things too, even just was the historical, you know, um, this, you know, what's just happened over time that I wasn't even aware of too. So it was, it was really eye-opening, you know, your webinar and what you shared, you know, it, in terms of just the history and understanding, I guess, more of the why, you know, why people are, you know, the way they are and, and what experiences they faced. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting is it's, it's not that 
cancer discriminates, it's unfortunate that our healthcare system discriminates like so many other systems. I saw an explanation the other day on social media and people were trying to explain what systemic racism was. And they said, that doesn't mean that there are racist people that are leading the systems. It means even if you remove the, the racist people, the systems would still disproportionately put other people at an advantage and other people at disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just, um, I think understanding that makes a world of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm learning every day. Like it's very, it's just been very eye opening. and I feel, you know, I'm going to say some of the wrong things. I'm not going to do everything right. And we can kind of get into the accomplice guide and everything you even went through. I loved your do's and don'ts, by the way, they were amazing. But I do think that, you know, we, we have to change and we have to go in with eyes wide open and we have to do a better job, you know, and, and that is starting with me myself, you know, and I think, you know, the community in general and our systems in general. So I do appreciate, you know, you sharing that. Um, would love to know, Marissa, too, like from, from your perspective, you know, for the rest of us, you know, how it kind of got up and running or, you know, how it kind of came to be what it is, you know, today. Mm-hmm. Well, Jasmine and I, when we were at the Young Survival Coalition Summit, we were just speaking on some of the things that we had noticed, um, mostly online and within the breast cancer community, that we knew that there were a lot of women of color out there who were getting aggressive breast cancer, and um, some of them, they were getting stage four breast cancer, and it was metastasizing, and they were passing away, but there weren't any resources that we knew of. Um, that women could just come together and talk or read their stories or just connect with one one another. And so we decided, okay, well, we know that this is an issue. We know we want to elevate the voices of the other women that are around us because we see them. We know some of them and they have to be out there. So why don't we go on ahead and develop a platform where to make this happen and to share our stories from our perspective. And so not only so other women of color can see Um, that other women of color are actually being diagnosed with breast cancer, but so everyone can see this and then hopefully move into getting more of us into research, clinical trials, because that is a lot of what the focus is. If we're getting aggressive breast cancer, then we need to be researched as well. And so that's how For the Breast of Us was born. Jasmine and I had started talking um, every day, uh, building the website together, collecting stories from women. And then of May 2019, that's when we went on ahead and launched. I love it. And I love that you're like in two totally different parts of the country. <laughs> and, you know, you're united in in this. And and I just love too, like how visionary you both are, you know, really to see what was needed and really to become the first breast cancer community dedicated to women of color. So I just, I really do applaud you both for taking the initiative and being leaders and, you know, really taking a step, you know, to, to make a change and make a difference. And that's what my show is definitely all about. So I always want to shine a light on people who, who are really trying to make a difference in the world of particularly breast cancer, but you know, all kinds of cancer. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I would love to kind of dig into this next subject. Um, you know, it's difficult. It's been uncomfortable the last few weeks. And, you know, I've been trying to really look into the mirror. And, you know, it was really brought up, you know, on your webinar. Um, you know, and I can give some of the examples that you shared. And love to hear it, though, from your words. But what does it, you know, look like to be a woman of color and go through breast cancer? Because 
your experience is obviously very, very different, you know, than my experience. And I think, you know, right off the gate, you said, you know, when you go to Google, you know, uh, breast cancer, it, it, you know, or to look at, you know, breasts of, you know, a, a woman of color, they're very hard to find. And, and that was really eye-opening. Um, you know, it took screens and screens before you saw someone that looked like you. And, you know, we all, that's what we're all kind of looking for is, you know, a friend or a community or someone to embrace us and kind of show us the way that it's going to, you know, kind of be for me by looking through someone else's journey in someone's eyes. So would love to hear, I don't know who wants to kind of tackle this one first, but you know, what is it kind of like to be a woman of color and to go through breast cancer? So I'll let you ask Okay. So one of the distinctions that we made on the webinar, the Solidarity Sisters webinar, is that um, black women are women of color, but women of color is an inclusive term for all um, ethnicities, non-white ethnicities. So really when we speak, we can speak primarily from our experiences as black women, and we can speak for the experiences of our sisters that are other ethnicities, which would essentially kind of make us more of an accomplice. Um, and we're helping to raise up advocates of other communities. But um, I think when we address like this idea of privilege, and privilege can be such a controversial, um, uncomfortable term, especially when you're talking about race. And um, really, I think in a, good, a good example of, is not just like the Googling, we're Googling trying to find images of women that look like us, um, images of trying to see like, what does someone's skin look like if they're brown like me when they go through radiation? Because the paperwork is written for white women and it says that you're gonna turn red and I instead turn like charcoal black. Um, it's one of those things when you're explaining it to people, like you never realize how excluded some people are if you can go to the store and buy a bra that's labeled nude and nude actually fits you. Like it doesn't fit black women, but, it, but you know what I mean? But it's called yeah. new, like it's not really for us. Um, and so I think from my experience, navigating this journey as a black woman, it was very often not being able to find other survivors. And when you're engaged in advocacy and you know that black women in particular are 40, 44 times more likely to die from breast cancer than our white counterparts, like, you start to wonder, like, is that why I can't find anybody online? Are they all dying? Is anyone surviving this? You, um, I know when I was looking for images of mastectomies, my first thought was which one of us has the bad doctor? Like, <laughs> like is my doctor offering me something that other women aren't getting? Should I be getting, like, it, 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 it triggers all of these questions, like, why can't you find pictures? Why can't you find stories? <laughs> and so um, it was a lot of that. And then it also became, a lot of self-advocacy, realizing that my doctors, either whether it was race or whether because I was young or not, they weren't really willing to give me all the information that I asked for, realizing that um, even there were times where I would be talking to someone else and realize that they were being presented options that I wasn't being presented. So, I mean, it's been really interesting, but honestly, I think it's really all helped fuel for the rest of us, if nothing less, because, I mean, when you can't change the system, you can at least teach people how to cheat it. And that's where um, our accomplices sharing those stories really come into play. 
Yes, and I would even add on to that as just being a woman of color and going through this journey, something as simple as going even to shop for wigs. We don't have that many options when it comes to shopping for wigs, especially within the cancer centers, if they have wigs that are located there. Uh, most of the wigs are for white women. Um, and you know, they try to market them to us, but a lot of times they just won't work and so we'll have to pay out of pocket. Uh, also, wherever you're living at, sometimes for us to get to like the major cancer centers, that is going to be a long drive for us, whether that be 30 minutes or an hour. And so just trying to decide if that is somewhere that you can go or if you should keep your uh, care locally. And even if you're going to have that option or when you go and see a provider, if they're even going to give you the option that maybe you should get a second opinion if you're not feeling, you know, okay about it. Those, these are just some things that we don't think about. And a lot of times the medical community doesn't give us those different types of options that people may have. And so that's why we want to help empower women to know that they do have these options and make sure you utilize them if you are able to. And also when you think about financial toxic toxicity, um, I know, I think it was NBCC or it might've been ASCO where they were talking about how black and Latina women were more likely to use, lose their homes um going through or to empty out their savings going through um breast cancer and i think about for myself how often money was like an issue to getting treatment it was like i need to go to physical therapy but it's and i have good insurance quote unquote good insurance and it's 45 dollars a visit and they want me to go three times a week um it's i i may need to get a, a chest scan because I'm not feeling the best, but then it's $300 out of pocket. And now I have to think like, do I really need this scan? So, mm -hmm. I mean, it gets, it gets really complicated. And when you think about um, beyond our experiences, you think about how many women that are um, women of color that are single mothers. I believe the number is like 74% of black women are single mothers. You think about how many people of color are the essential workers right now that are working hourly jobs and you think about them having to take time off work to go to doctor's appointments and chemo and it just gets really complicated yeah no i mean thank you for sharing all of these examples and you know you kind of talked about privilege and and it does make me reflect on you know how privileged i was you know in my experience and and in my case too you know my mom is a two-time survivor and so i always I always felt lucky too, just that I had people to take me seriously because I was 37 when I was diagnosed. So I had had mammograms at the age of 30, 33, you know, kind of to get baseline ones. So I always felt like I was taken seriously. And, you know, just to kind of hear it from your examples and, and all the other people that you're not even, you know, knowing of, but there's just so many, you know, different experiences and journeys. But, you know, the, we're, we're given certain opportunities in life. And, and I'm starting to see obviously that, you know, I, I had a lot more opportunities and I was obviously very, taken very seriously at every step of, you know, my journey as well. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to dig into a little bit of, you know, just some of the challenges of the healthcare system. You know, you talked about, you know, just the system itself and obviously the healthcare system is, you know, one of those systems. Um, you know, I know there's obviously a lot of statistics and would love to hear, you know, anything that you've experienced or, or seen or come across for research, but um, obviously, you know, 
I know from your Solidarity Sisters webinar, you know, just the amount of time even spent in a waiting room um, is very, not in a waiting room, but like with a doctor, the FaceTime with a doctor is, is very different for, you know, white people versus, you know, I, I don't know if that was exclusively women of color or black women, but it was definitely very, very different and would love to know, you know, what challenges you have personally faced or have read about and would like to share. So I don't know, Jasmine, do you want to take that one first? Sure. So um, it's really interesting because I don't think people realize until they do like the history of going back into slaves being experimented on, then you move into like the Tuskegee experiment, which is really like in the 70s. I tell people all the time, like it's really not that far, that long away. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, not I think, what we know is that Black people in specific, they tend to have better health outcomes when they are treated by Black doctors. Racial discordance, the lack of diversity in the medical community is actually one of those research barriers to quality health care because communities of color, they experience perceived discrimination, which we now know may not be so much perceived because there are research studies about implicit bias, about how doctors... Um, they just assume that patients of certain demographics don't want to know certain things or don't want certain options and so they don't give them they don't tell them um all the way down to like pain management black women are, are less likely to receive meds for pain even though they can experience um or be rated at higher levels so and i think marissa has a great example of um implicit bias. can you talk about the doctor that you spoke to marissa Yes. So the, um, I actually work in healthcare and the doctor that I work for him and I were talking about everything that's kind of going on in the world right now. And he said, you know, the thing about it is, is a lot of us providers, we all come in with this bias against a lot of patients. Like we already come in with this preconceived notion of how we think people are going to act before we go into the room. But the difference behind that is when you walk into that room and you're putting the action behind that bias. It's like, yes, we do have to work on that bias on ourselves and we should be working on that continuously. But when you walk into that room with the patient, once you start putting those biases into action, that's where the problem lies. And with women of color and just people in color in general, a lot of that happens. I, I noticed that at the medical center that I work at, and I always have to just call people out when they do something, especially when it comes to pain meds, because a lot of our patients do need pain meds, and I have noticed that the white patients will call and they'll say, you know, they need this and this such of pain meds, and there's no stopping them. There's no kind of asking any questions. They just give them what they want, and then any person of color that comes in and they start asking for pain meds, it's automatically like, okay, why well, are you drug seeking? Do you have drug behavior in your past? Mm -hmm. And so just getting people to realize those things that you're already walking into that room or when you get on the phone with them, you're already having those thoughts. When you don't even know what this person has been through, you don't know the reason why they're asking for these things, you're just automatically putting that bias into action. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we researched in, in, prepar in preparation for the Solidarity Sisters thing is specifically in the cancer community. It talked about how doctors were least likely to prescribe effective treatment plans, specifically around chemo, 
for patients of color because they assumed that they weren't going to stick to the, to the treatment plan. And I think about how I was going through um, my process and I was asking questions about um, what does Lupron do to your body? What does Tamoxifen do to your body? Because I still want to have kids. And I remember them, like my oncologist, she's no longer my oncologist, but she didn't want to talk to me about it. She didn't want to have conversations. And my initial thought was, is she telling, is she not telling me because she doesn't want me to not do it? Does she think like, like that's going to make me be more compliant? But honestly, it's a disservice to patients if you don't allow them, if you don't empower them with information to make the best decision for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we've been talking a lot about, about how we shift this conversation from doctors making decisions for us and start having doctors make decisions with us. Mm, I love that. Just that change in one word is, is huge, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've spoken on, you know, different occasions on my, just on my podcast of my own journey and, you know, having a doctor, it was a, a radiation therapist, um, you know, take personal calls during, you know, during my appointment, um, give me an iPad and say, it's kind of like this, but it's kind of not like this. And I was like, okay, well, what parts are like this and which parts aren't like this, you know, and it was very frustrating and, and I left there so, you know, bewildered and it was an appointment, thankfully, that my husband like attended with me and we left there and he's like, um, he's not, he's not going to work on you. Like this is not happening, you know? And I think it was a real eye-opening experience then too, because I do think we sometimes forget that, you know, we are our own advocates and we have to do more, you know? Yeah. And, and you guys are facing such a much more of an uphill battle, you know, like, and I, I was obviously scared. I was confused. I didn't know what to do. But, you know, my husband just pointed it out to me in very black and white terms. And it just made crystal clear sense, you know, and you guys need more of the advocacy to kind of help, you know, to, to share that, you know, word of you are your own advocates and you have to make decisions with doctors, you know, and not have them make it for you. Right. So I love that. So thank you for sharing like your personal stories, um, even your, you know, the, the implicit bias. Um, I know from a work perspective and I work, you know, in retail, totally different, you know, field, but, you know, we're talking about it and they even gave us a sneak peek into some of the training and just, you look at a face and, you know, you automatically assume something, you know, like it kind of is human nature, but it's also a skill that you can work on and you can train and you can sharpen and you can get better at, and you can, you know, check yourself and, you know, make sure you're doing the right things for the right people, you know, all the time. So I, I just think it's really interesting, you know, we're in such an age of hopefully awareness, you know, and, and advocacy as well. Mm -hmm. So Tina, I would love to know if you could share what inspired you to join the Solidarity Sisters webinar. Um, I guess I'm a person that I never feel like I always feel like I can learn more today or tomorrow, you know, than, than I am. I can always be a better person, you know? And so I always just feel like I want to work on myself, you know what I mean? And I think that we can always aspire to be better people. And I, you know, I want to always look in the mirror and, um, Oh, sorry. My zoom thing is telling me something. <laughs> Um, I want to look in the mirror and like do, you know, do more. So that's kind of what inspired me. I think that's awesome. Yeah, because you never stop learning all the time. Yes, I, and it's, I mean, and I can do more. And I think we, you know, 
we all wake up feeling that, but I, I do feel, you know, as a society, I, I mean, I watched the George Floyd thing. I was on vacation, like when it happened and I didn't have internet and I came home and I'm like, what, what in the world happened? Like I had no like idea. Yes. And it just, it broke my heart into a million pieces. And, you know, I'm speaking for myself and I can't even imagine, you know, what you experienced and what you experience on a day in and day out basis. And so I'm just trying to do a better job of putting myself into different people's shoes. And I thought you two both did a great job of using a lot of, uh, you know, the whole weekend you did. And then um, Trish from like New York with the breasties, using a lot of like cancer analogies, which also kind of help because we know what it's like to empathize with other people. We know what it's like to put ourselves in other people's shoes because we've been through this cancer journey. Again, not saying that we have similar journeys, but we've been through an experience together that was very difficult. Right. right. So I would love to know, um, kind of switching gears a little bit, but about community and you know how finding people that look like you, you know, is, is important. I know for me, you know, I'll speak to my journey. Um, you know, I had my mom, she was a two-time survivor. She was an amazing, amazing rock, you know, in my journey. Um, but I was like a high powered career person. And it was really important for me to find someone who was kind of battling like career and cancer at the same time. And yeah. so, you know, I really sought out and, and Instagram was kind of my outlet too, you know, to try to find this tribe, you know, that looks like me, that has similar experiences with me. So I'd love to know from your side, um, Jasmine, I don't know if you want to start, but like just, you know, what it meant to find this tribe that looks like you. Man, I think it's really special, you know, and it started for, with me. It started with finding first young women. And I think that's why Young Survival Coalition, I think that's why the summit is so special to me because like I knew what it was like to be odd girl out like the youngest person in the oncology clinic and people are looking at you like, is she in the right place kind of thing. And to be the youngest person in the support group. So finding other young women first was like this huge moment for me. Um, but then to be able to find other black women and then have people that I could ask questions to about like, how are you taking care of your skin and what are you doing with your hair? And Marissa, tell me how you made your wig. Like it, it, like it really opens up your eyes to a whole new world. It's like, it's like going to the next level of the game, not just being able to find young women, but able to be fine black women. And then we have young black women. And then we have like women that have been survivors for years. So it, it's, and incredibly inspiring. I know I put something in the group. We have a, a Facebook group for our breast cancer baddies. That's named for, um, that we call our women in the community. And um, I just explained, like, we've had that Facebook group for a little less than a year than we've had for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's more than 300 women in there already. And we've been able to follow women through some of their hardest moments together. And I was telling them the other day, like, I'm always so inspired by the way they are so willing to help each other out and help each other navigate these odd experiences because they're odd to everyone else. We are, we're, it's like on your day to day basis, you're probably not going to meet another young black breast cancer survivor. It's going to be pretty rare <laughs> that you meet that just walking on the street. Right. Um, 
So to watch women go from this place of fear to faith and from asking for advice to giving advice, like it's just this beautiful evolution. And like for someone that had their own blog that was about their cancer journey to get to a space where the story never ends because there's always somebody coming in and coming out, like it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. um, Just being able to connect with different women and coming from a place of, for like myself, I was really private and didn't want to share any of my journey, but then just seeing, and I feel like a lot of women within our community are the same way and seeing a lot of them come out of their shell now and wanting to share their stories or even just ask questions that they probably regularly would not ask and just keep to themselves because you may want to ask, you know, a friend or a family member these questions, but they would never know. So now they're openly asking these questions within the group. Um, I know within the Black community, we are really strong and faith-based there. So some of us may feel not okay to be sharing that on an open platform like social media, but then being able to find another Black woman who has been diagnosed with breast cancer and you can say something about God or praying and then them understand that because they grew up in that same type of environment for us as well. Um, At least I know it is for me. Um, And I think Jasmine would probably agree and probably some other women would do the same. And so being able to connect those dots and just see other women and see that they're thriving, um, whether they're living with metastatic breast cancer or if they have completed active treatment at this point and see that their lives are still continuing on. I know that that shows a lot of hope to a a lot of women of color. And we just did um baddies talk back it's like our monthly video podcast and it was more about like bridging the gap between early stages and metavivers but then seeing that the women that we had that we chose unknowingly that they had become friends and through our community and like they were actually like one was metastatic for a few years now so she was kind of coaching the other girl who was recently metastatic and like what a difference that makes to have somebody that you can talk to that gets it in almost every way. I just love that. And I feel too, like, you know, my, my podcast too is almost like this, you know, community too. And it's, it's just such a beautiful thing, you know, like connecting people. And that was actually, you know, I had recorded my own story and that was like my season one, but then there were so many other stories to share that I, I don't have the experience for, you know, like I had a woman who was pregnant and had breast cancer. I I can't speak about that. You know, that's, that's not my story to share, you know, but there's someone out there that needs to know that story. And Mm -hmm. so that was kind of the impetus for, you know, having guests and and sharing all these different unique, you know, stories. So um, it's, it really is beautiful to you, how you said it, um, you know, just kind of connecting these people together and kind of helping to coach and mentor and, you know, you might not have that exact experience, but you might have come across someone that did and you can kind of, you know, be that point person, you know, to help, you know, help those people even connect so that they can speak to it, you know, on on a greater detail. So thank you for doing that and for sharing your stories. Like it's, it really is so important. You know, community is everything. And I think we all know that we talk about it Um, and sharing our stories is, you know, such an important part of it. Um, and, And I find on my podcast, it seems like as soon as I have a guest on, even like if it's the first time they're sharing a story, their load seems so much lighter after yep. they after they share it. They just seem like a different person, you know? And 
I think you kind of release it into the world. And, you know, I, I too am a great believer in faith and in God. And I, I believe like he has a purpose and, and wants us to share and connect and, you know, provides us these great tools to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've always said like our, our stories are not our own. Like we don't go through these experiences just to go through them. Like I can't, I, I, I can't remember which pastors, it might be T.D. Jakes that talked about, you know, if God would have given you a preview of your life, you'd probably be like, no, I don't want to do that. Like I could not imagine um, what life was going to be like after I was diagnosed. I certainly did not think that it was going to like send me into purpose. Absolutely did not think that's what was going to happen. So like, it's one of those things where I would not wish this on anyone, but I am so blessed that I was chosen for this journey and that I've been able to turn wounds into wisdom and pain into purpose. Oh, I love that. It's so beautiful. And you're in one word. It was amazing how many women actually did put purpose. And and that actually has been a big gift for me too, um, is just this kind of sense of renewed purpose and that, you know, I am more than my work. I am more than my job. And, you know, I have so much more to offer the world. And, and it was kind of an invitation for me to see more of his, more of God's, you know, grace and, and belief in me, I guess, you know, and, and I, and I too look at it as a truly a gift, you know, even though I wouldn't wish it on anyone, you know, it's not, exactly. (laughs) it's not something, you know, I would even wish, you know, on anyone, mortal enemy or whatever, but it's, it's truly, you know, an eye-opening experience and one that, you know, you can either choose to see the beauty or, or not, you know, and I, I choose to see the beauty in it. That's what I said. It'll make you bitter. It'll make you better. Mm -hmm. You have all these alliterations. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. Um, We kind of spoke a little bit about your in one word, but I would love to let the listeners know, um, you know, what, what they can do maybe to help or to get help. Um, You know, you, you guys had published or had shared a lot of great do's and don'ts. You have this accomplice guide. Um, your in one word is very inspiring, you know, with different people's stories. Um, would love to know, like, you know, um, Marissa, I don't know if you want to start on this one first, but what, what can listeners do to, to get help or to be of help and service? To women of color within the breast cancer community? Yes, yes, particularly that. That would be great. Definitely, if you know of any women of color who are breast cancer survivors, helping elevate their voice and their stories. Uh, I think we're kind of in the background. And when we go, I know for myself, and I think Jasmine touched on this as well, is when we were going through our journey, I mean, even just searching through the hashtag breast cancer, breast cancer survivor, you don't really see that many women of color that are there, if you see any, because there's so many, you know, stories that are coming through that hashtag. So if you know of any, just elevating their stories, letting them know about resources that you may know about. We don't necessarily know some of the same resources, especially when it comes to healthcare. Uh, Just, you know, when it comes to when you're at your cancer center and maybe um, social work or any of those type of things, getting that word out to all of the women that are within your community, but especially women of color, because as I'm sure you know, Tina, it's like as soon as you're diagnosed with something like breast cancer, like your world is just flipped upside down. Mm-hmm. 
So think about that if you're if your world is completely flipped upside down, but then you also have all of these other things going on within your life, and you have to focus on those as well. Whether that be a single mom, whether that be having to you know you be an executive at a job and you have to go through any of those type of things. So I would just say take them under your wing and definitely amplify amplify their voices and share even some of the stories that we have on our site. We're always posting stories from women. Um, any of the baddies talk back that Jasmine said that we have, those are always great ways to even just connect with some of those women. You know, we definitely want to connect women of color with other women of color, but we also want you guys to get to know them as well. Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I think that is, that's a great shift into the accomplice guide. So I think it's amazing. Like, honestly, I think it's been a blessing. You know, it, it was like you probably wouldn't think that it would be, but maybe it is that we decided to create a community that was exclusive for women of color. So that's like everyone that's not white. We put them together and we said, okay, how do we power this forward? But from the very beginning, our white friends were like, how do we support you even though we're not women of color? How, mm-hmm. how do we engage? And that's one of the things that we talked about in the Solidarity Sisters webinar. It's like you engage with the community. That's the only way. You never know what kind of idea, inspiration is going to be sparked reading somebody's story and realize they didn't have access or they didn't have the same opportunities that you have. Like, that's why it's so important for us to be in this together. Right. And um, you can see the accomplice guide on our website under resources. You can also download it um, and share it. Um, it's great, not just in terms of race, but everyone has, or most of us have at least one type of privilege. Sometimes that's race. Sometimes that's gender. In the breast cancer community, it's interesting because we, the women have gender privilege. Um, sometimes it's financial privilege. And so everyone that's trying to advocate for a community that they may not and you have to understand how you can be an accomplice. And so that guide is very helpful. We use it as early stagers trying to be accomplices to our sisters with um, metastatic breast cancer. And also because though we are leading a community for women of color, we do recognize that we are black women. And Mm -hmm. so we are advocates for black women, but we are accomplices for women of other ethnicities as well. Right. And I think even to piggyback on what Jasmine is saying, because Jasmine touches on this a lot of times when we are talking about the accomplice guide, one of the points that we make in there is, you know, for white women to just basically sit back and listen to what's being said, and you don't always have to necessarily say, well, I don't do that, or, you know, that's not necessarily me, but just taking in the time to actually sit and listen to what the women are talking about, or just anybody that is a person of color that what they're talking about, and digesting that and taking that back because maybe that's not you maybe that's not your privilege maybe you don't act that way or you don't say those certain things but you may know somebody that does and even if you don't know somebody that does you could still pass that information on to other Mm -hmm. people so they can realize that as well i love it and i know you know i i go back to this in one word but jasmine at at that solidarity sisters that was one way too that you said you know if people want to understand more women of color and their stories you know to to go ahead and buy this in one word, you know, and it's just such a great, beautiful, you know, book of a compilation of stories with one word. And I, I wrote down 
some of the ones that really spoke to me, and I, and I love these words, but, you know, layered was one, awakening, terrified, exhausting. And I definitely can say, like, I felt all of those, you know, during my journey. Like, they're all very amazing words, and they all resonate with me. But just to see their stories and to hear it in their words, you know, and, and all the emotions that they went through, it, it is very much, you know, um, you know, kind of a solidarity sister thing, you know, like we all experience a lot of these same things, you know, together. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but, you know, in the breast cancer community, they really, especially in the nonprofit community, they really sell one narrative oftentimes, not everyone, but in generally they do. And it's a happy narrative, right? It's all the overcomer. It's all ringing the bell. And the one word project was powerful in my opinion because it gave women the opportunity to define their own story to not just be seen but to be seen the way they want it to be seen right and um i think i mean it was the coolest thing i've already talked about what are we going to do this year for bcam because that was really cool and um also for women I, i always say like you have to feel how you feel Mm-hmm. And I think for when we first started rolling them out, everyone didn't see everyone's word until like they started popping up on social mm-hmm. media. And some people were like, oh no, like my word was negative or oh no. And it's like, no, it's your word. You get to decide how your journey is or you could decide how you feel. So yeah, the buying the one word book, and I think it's like $10. Um, and it is, it's, it's 50 different women that are just sharing their story in their own way. And that's the message is that, no one, you don't have to let anyone define your journey except for you. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, I always ask, you know, every single guest for a Tina tip. And so um, these can be tips, you know, it can be, you know, more tactical of, you know, based on your journey and what you experienced. Um, it can definitely be more focused on, you know, for the rest of us and what kind of resources you have available. But um, would love to hear from each of you, you know, what, what a Tina tip that you would love to impart on, on someone going through cancer, particularly breast cancer. Hmm. I would, my biggest thing would be advocate for yourself. I know that we completely keep saying that. And a lot of us are saying that within this breast cancer space. And I think it's easier said than done. And so the biggest thing is definitely continue to advocate for yourself always, not even just when you're diagnosed or when you're in active treatment, but even after treatment, Um, even for Jasmine, for example, I know she had touched on this about how she doesn't have the same oncologist. That's really recent for her. And that's because, you know, she advocated for herself and just knew that, you know, something wasn't right and she needed to figure out what that was. So when we say advocate for yourself, that doesn't necessarily mean when you're being told what your treatment plan is going to be and you're in active treatment and then you're done. Even afterwards, there's a lot of advocating that you have to do for yourself. Because a lot of times people think, okay, well, you're done with treatment. You know, you're three or four years out. So then you're good. You don't really need that much. But a lot of times we do because we're still suffering from a lot of those side effects, whether they be physically or mentally. So definitely continue to keep advocating for yourselves. And I would say, because I know that she was going to say advocate for yourself, so I'm glad that I let her go first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, sometimes I change my, I don't know, I can't remember what my normal one is. I think I usually say advocate for yourself too, depends, we play on each other. But I would also say find your tribe. 
I think that mm-hmm. is extremely important. You know, when we were deciding whether or not for the breast device was necessary or whether like it, we wanted to make sure that we were fulfilling an unmet need, not doing something somebody else was doing. It looked at research and it's like having a supportive community can increase patient outcomes by 20%. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's That's amazing. So important that you you have people that you can turn to and people that get it because our friends and our family they're going to do their best but it's nothing like having somebody that like gets it that have really been in your shoes and they know what it's like to have some of those shared experiences so I would definitely say to find your tribe right and when Jasmine and I had met at YSC which is so funny that she's even said and that we actually felt like outsiders from people there that we thought weren't going to make us feel like outsiders. We were there at the conference and we kind of just stood there and looked at each other like, um, so this is interesting. And that's another reason why for the rest of us was born because it's like, everybody should feel like they're welcome, especially women of color, because we know what it's like already to feel like outsiders. So finding your tribe and going on with them, that's, I would definitely, I'm with you on that one, Jasmine too. Yeah. Well, I love it. Thank you. you. You guys have both been so open and honest. And, you know, again, I, I learn from you each and every day from your Instagram feeds. I learn, you know, obviously from your webinar, it was amazing. And you have such great resources, you know, on your website. So kind of to wrap things up, um, you know, where can the listeners, you know, find for the breast of us and what social media handles are you active with? They can find us. We are on all of the social media channels. So Facebook at For the Breast of Us, Instagram at For the Breast of Us as well, and Twitter, The Breast of Us. And then Jasmine, do you want to let them know how else they can get in touch with us? Uh, They can email us at hello at breastofus.com. And then obviously they can go to our website that is breastofus.com. I love it. And you have great apparel, which I did purchase a lovely t-shirt. I will be supporting you. Um, so I just think it's really great. Again, what you are both doing, you know, and it's just such a wonderful platform. And I love how, you know, it, it is, I'm learning from it. And I think, you know, as, as a, as a white person, I feel like there's so much to learn and so much to know. So thank you for even creating, you know, the accomplice guide and for really teaching me things that you know, it's not really something that you have to teach people, but you're just readily doing it and readily making information available to so many people. So I I really, truly do from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank Thank you. You You know, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, I feel it's a blessing for us to be in this position to make bridges and make connections. So we appreciate your willingness to be one of our baddie accomplices. Thank you. I feel, I feel excited to have that title. (laughs) i keep saying like i gotta make that shirt (laughs) yes yes i want that's my next purchase so yes make that one up (laughs) well thank you for part of being part of my tribe too so i really truly do appreciate it and um you know you guys have a blessed evening and it was lovely lovely meeting both of you and talking with you and i'm sure we'll be collaborating on things in the future too Looking forward to it. Yes, thank you so much. Okay. You guys have a great night. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. bye.